Welcome, everyone, to the show. Um, this is going to be a special episode. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Rebecca and I, you know, we have an opportunity to have this platform. And we love talking about pinball because that's our jam. Uh, but there's sometimes uh, other conversations that we need to have that are more important. And we like to use this platform to, to do that. Um, we had a loss within the pinball community and... It's brought up a really sensitive subject and something that, you know, people don't like to talk about, but that we're going to talk about here on the show today. Uh, Rebecca, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing okay. Uh, all things, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we are, sorry, my brain's just like, it's moving like sludge. Um, you know, I think I'm... I'm okay. Uh, this is something that I know I professionally deal with on a regular basis. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's not something that is traumatic and saddening and, um, not only for like everyone around, but just for a larger community. Um, and so I think that we have an opportunity to, to talk about it. And I was really, um, touched when uh, our guest today reached out to me to say that she has these really amazing, you know, this background, these skills to be a resource to our community. And I've said community 15 times, but uh, <laughs> just to really emphasize, like, we're super community. We uh, are. I think, I, 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 I think that are. that's really important. So the subject where we've been dancing around here for the past two minutes, um, we are going to be talking suicide. about suicide and mental health in general. But um, it's yes. just, it's so hard because it is something that people are just very, it's a, kind of a taboo subject. People don't want to talk about it. I feel like, you know, as I've gotten older, you know, past like 10, 15 years, it's, it, I don't want to say it's a more welcome subject, but it's definitely something people are now starting to talk about instead of, you know, we're not, we're not going to bring up that subject. And, uh, we are, um, I don't want to say happy, uh, but, uh, we, we, we it's, we're not so much happy. It's just one of the things I think that we're both really passionate about is bringing attention to certain issues. And one of the things that I know I'm really passionate about is making sure we destigmatize mental health, suicide, depression, being not being neurotypical. And um, as much as I wish that this weren't the situation that brings it to light that we would get to talk about it, um, that moment is here. And uh we have an opportunity to talk about it. So we should. We definitely should. If we turned it, if we didn't take it, if we didn't do this, I think that we would be doing our listeners, um, ourselves, our community, like a disservice. So as uncomfortable as it's going to be, buckle up. Everybody's going yep, through it together. We are going to get uh, comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations. I've said it before. I've said it for the past couple of episodes where we're like, let's talk about something that's going to be kind of, mm, it's going to be like the itchy sweater. But um, I think. I, I feel that talking about mental health is very, very important. Um, and I want to just thank our guest in advance for, for coming on today and, and for wanting to be part of this conversation. Um, her name is Dr. Sarah Rose Denisi, and she is a clinical psychologist. And uh, Dr. Denisi, welcome to the show. Uh, people might recognize your name. <laughs> But uh, I I was not aware that you had had these credentials. I just thought you were a very cool chick that I randomly ran down in a parking lot in Houston, thinking you were like so cool. And I was like, oh, she she's legit. All right. Um, for for folks who don't know you, uh, can you kind of share um your background and um 
you know, what you kind of bring to the table today. Absolutely. As you said, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. I work for a group practice in the Chicagoland area where I also live with my husband. Those in our community probably familiar, I'm guessing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that guy. Yeah. Yeah. So by proxy, I'm also a part of this community. I love everyone that I have met, even those who chase me down in parking lots. Um, (laughs) You know, we're really close. We are very much our own subculture. And so when something like this happens, when we lose someone, it's, we're all impacted by it. And with my, my background, I wanted to do something. It's hard not to feel helpless when you hear something like this. And exactly as you two already emphasized, let's have a conversation. Let's, let's talk about this because we do need to bring more awareness. We need to destigmatize because then it makes it easier for people to reach out and get help. And that's part of what I do every single day. I am a therapist. And so I work one-on-one with individuals every day. Wow. Um, I, you know, I wasn't aware of, um, I'm going to call her Sarah Rose because it's just going to be easier instead of Dr. Denise. When we, when we <laughs> sure. need to lay the hammer, we'll call it Dr. We'll Denise. But Sarah Rose, I, I didn't know about your background, but um, I again, we really appreciate you coming on the show. And, you know, when we first heard uh, uh, about suicide and, you know, it, it has some, I have known people, unfortunately, that, that have, have taken their life uh, beyond the situation. And it's just, you just feel, I think that's the perfect word. You feel so helpless. Like, I didn't know, like, you know, I don't understand. Like there's all these like feelings you have when you hear that news and, and you just, you're trying to figure out why and what you did wrong. And, and, you know, I, all of those feelings. And again, um, of everybody here, listeners, I am the least qualified to talk about anything. <laughs> uh, I just call it talking about, you this. can talk about your experience, yeah, yeah, Lauren, just my experience. and that is a valid it is thing. A valid. Your experiences are valid. <laughs> your feelings are valid. Uh, but, uh, but I'm just going to say, you know, if you're going to listen to somebody from like a, you know, professional opinion, um, Rebecca and Sarah Rose kind of have that corner, but, um, but I, I just, you know, I just, as a person, as a friend, I felt, helpless just like you know people are in this situation now um you know sarah is like when, when you find out that you know somebody is, is taking their own life i you know from a family friend's perspective you know like what what were what should we have been looking for like is there anything that we could have looked for that we could have known about that's a tough one there certainly are things that you can look for and you might see some of those things might be talking a bit more about it, making some hints, making some jokes about it. Um, you might even see changes in behavior, like increases in uh, kind of the presentation of depression, potentially. This actually is more complicated than you might think because it very much is on a case-by-case basis. And if you know an individual, if you know somebody that's close to you, you may be able to see that something's changed in them or have a concern for them that maybe somebody who doesn't know them very well wouldn't pick up on or notice. 
So while there are some things um, that might be obvious, it may not be. And it may just be that you know them as a person. And so if you see something, if you start to be concerned, ask them about it and ask directly about it. Ask directly if they're having any thoughts about hurting themselves, any thoughts of taking their own life. And as you said, we tend to get really uncomfortable. It's not something that maybe we want to bring up to another person, but we need to ask those difficult questions if we suspect that something is going on for somebody that we care about. I think that's so important. And I, I think that, that, you know, there's two parts. If, if you notice something, definitely bring it up. But also, you know, sometimes we, we have no idea and it won't present itself, you know, in a way that where we would have taken notice per se. And I, and I think that that's the harder of the two. Um, but, you know, again, having these conversations about mental health it, is really important. And, you know, I came from a, a background and a family um, that, you know, m- mental health was not something you talked about. And that's something that you didn't take a part of. Um, it did not grow up that way at all. Um, so I, I think for for a lot of people, you know, and in particularly if you're older, you know, mental health wasn't something that you talked about to anyone, even if you were, you know, getting help or seeing somebody, you didn't talk about it. And I think that, you know, having a platform like this, and and as we said earlier, having an opportunity to talk about, um, you know, mental health and, and things is really important. And Re- Rebecca, I know you deal with this every day. I do. Um, I deal with, I would say, a different population, definitely, than uh, what Sarah Rose does. I work with uh traumatized youth and um, children who have experienced abuse and neglect and uh, their families. And so I would say that my experience in working with individuals who are expressing suicidality is, is that by the time that I'm working with them, they've laid some of the groundwork of being able to identify those feelings and share them. Um, and then it turns into more of a, uh, they are able to have the experience of knowing when they're feeling that way and being able to communicate. So it becomes much more of a, how do we handle these feelings safely? How can, you know, we get through this moment? What supports do you need? Do you need, like, what can we do to get through these moments? Um, so very much uh, less, I mean, as much as we want to do the prevention, sometimes what I'm ending up doing is much more crisis management. Um which is a really valuable skill, I think, to have and to develop when you know someone or if you, uh, like in your family and your friend group who might be experiencing that crisis. Uh, By all means, it's something where there are resources that are out there that you can reach out to if you know somebody who needs that extra support. Um, But you can even just sit there and be with them in that moment and then talk with them about their feelings, their plans, and... um, to be with them and talk with them while you can get some extra support for them so that they can be safe. Um, like getting through that short-term planning before you start looking at your long-term planning. Uh, and that's, I would say most of my experience with it. I've done probably like so many suicide assessment tools, but assessment tools are assessment tools. It's a lot more different when you're sitting in that moment and someone approaches you and says, Hey, so I want to kill myself or Hey, so I did this thing and I'm trying to kill myself. And you're like, Oh, okay. Well, what did you do? Let's talk about it. And, 
Um, you know, I, I know that for me personally, I've struggled with, uh, you know, I'm very open with that. I am not neurotypical. I have struggled with depression and ADHD and anxiety for gosh, since adolescence. And I've been on so many different pills and thank goodness I have. Um, and one of the things that, um, and I've also, you know, and I would, would say that the, like, and like, I would say there's feelings of suicidality that I have experienced in my life. And one of the things that was super helpful is knowing my supports and also the years of therapy to know my triggers of when I'm like, oh, I am way far gone and I need to tell someone something. But it still wasn't something where it's like I could recognize it in that moment. And it took a long time um, to to reach out and, and figure out what exactly it was that I needed help with. So... That's a a good point, Bex, though. Yeah. Um, You know, being able to even recognize it in yourself, that can be a lot of work. And I think there's a lot of parts where people may not even realize that it's Mm -hmm. suicidal ideation, right? So I work with it, like you said, we work in different settings with different populations. And so I, I work with people who have made attempts and survived. I work with, you know, people who survived suicide. I've worked with people who have lost family members. I work with people who actively struggle with those thoughts every single day. And being able to recognize even your own warning signs, it sounds like you know that from yourself and how much hard work that took, right, Bex, to be able to recognize Oh, absolutely. That. And it's really hard to expect everyone to have done that. And you can't, honestly, we can't expect everyone to have done that work and had, had you know, the opportunity to do that work. Honestly, the only reason I had the opportunity to do it was, you know, I had... I grew up in the culture where, like, everybody went, like, gosh, you know, everybody was on pills in my family. (laughs) You name it, Prozac, Lexapro, like, whatever it was, like, somebody was taking something. Um, And so we, I, I was very lucky to have that. And I was very lucky to have health insurance. And I was very lucky. And I say I lucky. I was privileged. I was extremely privileged with the opportunity to care for my mental health and well-being. And a lot of people don't due to so many different circumstances, whether it is, you know, the their experiences in life, how they grew up, their current circumstances as an adult, the fact that, you know, we as a culture, you know, have expectations for how you perform and how you communicate. And I think that, you know, when something like this happens, when, when someone in your community does commit suicide, it gives you an opportunity to look at it with a wider lens of, well, what are the circumstances of this? How, you know, we could have not done anything in this situation, but how can we change things so that this doesn't necessarily happen for other people? Um, and I can get on my soapbox on how we need, you know, we need ample access and ample funding to mental health resources in the community and within our healthcare systems and, you know, 
I can get on that soapbox and I'll be here for like six hours. And you know, I will. Both of you do. Um, I know Sarah, Sarah Rose and I text all the time where it's just like, here's my beef of the day. And then like 17 blocks of text, text later. Um, I think I get to like the point. Um, <laughs> but, uh, like I'm, I'm very privileged in that. And I know that there are some resources for, people who don't have necessarily the privilege that I do in seeking mental health resources. Um, but there's like, there are suicide hotlines and, you know, and I worked on one of those uh, for, for a hot minute. Uh, but like, there's the suicide hotlines. There are, you know, crisis hotlines. There are, um, you know, local MHMR services. There are innumerable hospital systems. Um, you know, I wish that, we had better funding and support just in general. So yeah. Anyway, (laughs) soapbox over, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. I might come back to it. I might come back to it. I'm just rambling at this point. I'm super professional. I think there was a lot of of value to unpack there, but um, the the thing I do want to make a point of is that, you know, and I will say like there's about a 10 year age gap between Rebecca and myself. So I kind of grew up in a different time where, you know, mental health wasn't talked about. Um, I was diagnosed with ADHD when in my twenties. And the only reason that happened was I happened to have a friend group of teachers and I am a classic case of ADHD. And they were like, all these things you do, Lauren, that's ADHD. And I'm like, what the heck is ADHD, y'all? I was like, what is, I was like, why? Isn't that for kids? And they're like, no, adults can have it too. And I'm like, all right. So, you know, I went and I got diagnosed and, uh, you know, knowing that about myself and, and, you know, past 20 years plus, uh, you know, going through my life, um, you know, it has been challenging, but to be able to understand a little bit more about myself has been really great. And, you know, I've uh, had other mental health challenges. And, and again, I, I, I came from this, this family and, you know, extended family as well, where it's just, you just didn't talk about it. Like you just, you know, even after no. being diagnosed with ADHD, I didn't talk to my parents about it because I just wasn't sure what the, the reception would be with them. Not, and not to say anything negative about my parents. They're wonderful people, but it just wasn't something that you talked about. So I think that for, it's a huge culture. It is, shift. it is a big culture and shift. And I, I love where we're it's going, a huge you know, in the shift. sense of like, I, yeah. I, I love when I see in my social feeds people talking about, you know, how they're feeling and their mental health, because I think that's important for, you know, these next generations, because we need to talk about it. If we don't talk about it, I mean, where are people going to go? Um, you know, it's just it's just really hard. And, you know, Sarah's, uh, you know, and Rebecca, I think, you know, I want to ask if somebody, you know, maybe doesn't have experience with kind of dealing with a mental health situation. Like, you know, what are some first steps that they could do, you know, maybe, you know, themselves and, you know, what are some things that they can, you know, look at to maybe help them, you know, possibly find a mental health professional or maybe find some tools that they could use? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to even back up. Back up. Rebecca and I talked about We just a gave lot her a whole stuff. bunch. No, that's no, it's, it's good. One a loving, <laughs> a part of this conversation. It's such a good conversation. Uh, to circle back to things that you may recognize in yourself, talking about recognizing it in other people, but also recognizing it in yourself. Because I think when we talk about suicide, uh, some people have a certain picture of, of what that might be or what that might look like. And people may not realize that they're having suicidal ideation and even being able to label it as that. 
a lot of times we think of active suicidal ideation. That's maybe of thinking about a plan, starting to fantasize, maybe putting, starting to look up and research ways that you might die of suicide. There's also passive suicidal ideation. And that can come from simply this wish to die. Maybe that person isn't thinking about doing something actively or planning, but sometimes it could be that passive thought of, you know what, if I got in a car accident and I died, I'd be okay with that. I would, I would welcome that. Uh, or if I, if I died in my sleep, if only I could just die in my sleep or not wake up tomorrow. Those are all pretty big signs that there could be some pretty significant depression there. And that would be a time to reach out and, and get some help. And we'll talk about some of the ways to do that. But a lot of those warning signs too, feeling like maybe you're a burden on other people. When you talk to people who have survived suicide, um, they will, when you, when you hear their stories, it makes sense. It's logical when in that time they felt like they were a burden to other people. Um, they felt like maybe there wasn't any, any hope. And so that could be a pretty big warning sign in yourself or another person feeling that hopelessness, like you're a burden. Hopelessness is a very big one. That's a very big warning sign. Uh, for those who have a tendency to abuse substances, you might see an increase in that. Maybe you start abusing substances more. The person that you care about is abusing substances more. Um, you know, so, so it's more than just one way, if, if you think about it. Um, the other thing, too, is, is if a concern is isolation. If you are withdrawing um, from other people, maybe you're feeling like you don't want to be around other people or you see the person that you care about really is pulling back, not connecting. Those can all be warning signs. Yeah, I think those are those are really great points and, and for things for, for others to look out. And, um, you know, I. I also like the, the comment about the passive. It doesn't, you know, we, th we do have this kind of idea of what, you know, suicide looks like, you know, you know, besides being presented in the media and just our own thoughts that it's just this very much happening right now. And it's very, you know, in your face, but it can be these, these passive ideas of like, you know, what's the point, mm -hmm. you know, like that. And I, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about myself too much, but you know, I, I am in therapy. Yay. Um, but, um, you know, I wasn't dealing with things. And, and I was withdrawing and, you know, a friend noticed and she's like, what's up with you? And I finally had to kind of take a moment. I'm like, okay, I got to go talk to somebody. And, um, you know, I was able to unpack a lot of stuff and, um, I've, I've found a lot of value in, in therapy, just, you know, me personally. But I think there, there's a moment where all of us kind of have to take stock. And, you know, if you feel yourself changing, you know, feel you, you're like, this isn't who I normally am. You're like, this isn't how I normally or, you know, something feels different. It's not wrong. It's just different. And, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to talk to somebody about it. And I, and I, I want to, you know, listeners, I hope that, you know, today, you, you, if you feel like you need to talk to somebody, there are so many um, people out there that are there to help you. 
Um, you know, and if you don't want to talk to family and friends, there are people, you know, that, that will, would love to talk to you that are not related to you. And I think that that's mm-hmm. also a huge thing. It's like, I don't, I don't feel comfortable talking to my family or I don't feel t- comfortable talking to my friends because I don't want them to know that I'm having problems. Um, there are other people and, and, organizations and things that will listen and that would that want to talk to you um that want to help mm-hmm. you yeah and you know and i feel like also it's something where when people i know we say like oh reach out to the people that you know love and care for you but sometimes that's not something that people can do Um, you know, it might not be safe for them to talk to their parents or, you know, the people that they love or in the environment that they're in. Um, you know, and I, I think I just say that as like within my context, which is (laughs) within my context of kids who can't, you know, share these things with people because they don't feel safe around them. And so, um, and there's also that idea about, you know, you know uh, Sarah Rose was saying a burden, <laughs> like, I don't want to like drop, drop yeah, my stuff on people. the person I love or, you know, my, the family that I love. Cause you know, that's, uh, you may feel like that's not cool. Um, you know, or they, you know, it, it could even be about them. And it's like, you know, this is me mm-hmm. processing this stuff and I need to go talk to somebody else. Like I need to talk to a third party about it. Um, you know, and, and there, there are, there are people out there willing to listen. And I, and I, I hope. If, if, if you take nothing else away from this episode, that um, you, you have value and that there are people that want to help you and want to listen. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that would actually be a good segue to go back to your <laughs> original <laughs> question that I went in a totally different direction on. But that is how to get help, how to um, reach out and get those support we are all based in the United States. So this is going to be a very United States centric, uh, advice here. I know you have a lot of international listeners because pinball is international, but I will be talking about, uh, state specific to the United States. However, anywhere where you are, you can usually put in, you know, the googly, just Google it, search it. And, even if you put in anything to do with suicide, usually the first thing that will pop up is a hotline. That's usually one of the first things, big, bold numbers um, for the hotline. So that would be one free resource. Bex, you mentioned that you used to work for a hotline. And sure did. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure you guys will put this in the in the show notes. That, that number, though, is 800-273-273. 8255. That stands for talk, T-A-L-K. So the interesting thing about this, it's going to be in July this year. So we're recording in 2022. It's We're actually going to have a three-digit number for that, which is 988. I don't know if you guys knew that. That's coming out. Oh, we're going cool. to have... Yeah, isn't that's that really amazing? Great. That's really I, exciting. I, mean, I, I feel yeah. that that's going to be a lot easier. And the fact that, you know, mental health has now kind of been put at the forefront um, with besides things like, you know, when are they going to come pick up my garbage? And, you know, why are the lights off? So because I think. <laughs> and my house yeah, is my house on, fire. on fire. Like all these things. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I. Wow, that's really. I'm Wow. Yeah. I think that's so great. I did, had no idea. That's that's wonderful that that's going to be an opportunity because sometimes I'm like 1-800 what? <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I know. Yeah. July, that's going to be rolling out. And, and of course, in those very serious and significant situations in the United States, you can dial 911. There has been a big movement amongst police officers to get them to, to be trained, to be a bit more aware of, I forget what they call it, like CIT, they, they, they have some sort of acronym for it. But there's been a lot of work there to train police officers to be more aware of mental health whenever they go into those calls and trying to specifically send a police officer who has been trained, who has been certified. And if you are making the phone call, they may know, obviously, if you're calling for that purpose to send one of those officers, but you can also make the request that if you are calling for yourself or if you are calling for a loved one, that if there is an officer available who has that training, that um, they they send that that officer. I'm pretty sure it's CIT, like a crisis intervention mm-hmm. team, I believe is what they're called. We, um, we have them here and we call them MCOT. Um, I don't know what that stands for. Um, but every, every community will have, I think, different, uh, names for it. But I would say like the general term is like a mental health officer, Mm -hmm. um, which is really, really helpful and, um, making sure to ask for that, um, so that they can be aware and send Mm -hmm. those out. Yeah. And there's going to be different what we call levels of care. Mm -hmm. And so what, somebody who is actively thinking about suicide, actively at a risk, they're going to need a higher level of intervention than maybe somebody else who is experiencing depression adjustment to where it's not impacting their daily living to the point that they can still, you know, you can still stay in the community. You can still stay in your home. We'll, we'll start there and we'll work our way up in terms of the level of care. Let's say you're feeling down, you're feeling sad, you're feeling anxious, you need somebody to talk to, and you're thinking about going into therapy. If you are fortunate enough and privileged enough to have insurance, which mm-hmm. I will I will reserve from getting on that soapbox, because <laughs> there's a tall one there that I could just perch right up on. But if you do have insurance, there's a few ways. One, you can contact the insurance company, and you can ask for referrals within your area, tell them what you are looking for help for, whether it be depression, anxiety, mood disorder, um, psychosis, whatever it may be. And they will give you recommendations, referrals for people who are in network. So it's not as expensive to see those individuals, uh, those providers. If you do not have insurance, then you can do a search for a community mental health center in your, in your location, in your area, you can also do a search for sliding scale. You can put a therapist sliding scale because there are some providers out there who will see you. And if you are uninsured or underinsured, then they will see you and you'll have this agreed upon rate that would be lower than the typical out-of-pocket rate. Some other ways also, even people who are insured, it can still be really expensive. Those co-pays can be really high. I've seen some of those co-pays for the people that I see and it's, it's wild. Um, so for an example, I work for a very large 
behavioral health hospital and some of the hospitals that have behavioral health components, they will work with you sometimes in terms of sliding scale, helping you manage your bill and things like that. So I don't want somebody to think that because they have insurance with a really high copay or they don't have insurance at all that they cannot find an individual therapist to work for because you absolutely can. Um, It just may take a little bit more work to, to find those providers. Other options are groups. Groups are amazing. There are tons of support groups out there. One of them, you can look through NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness, and they have a lot of groups, not only for individuals, but also for family members. And there's going to be a lot of, in most places, there'll be local chapters in different locations, different types of meetings. That's another really great resource. So that's our first first level of care there. And then there may be, I can keep going unless you have any questions no. about that. I'll no, just keep please rolling. keep going. I'll keep rolling on. Then some people may need more than that. They may need greater support, daily support. One of the things that I guess a lot of people don't want to reach out for help. And if they're having maybe suicidal thoughts is there for, they, I don't want to go into the hospital. I don't want to go inpatient. And that's something very big that puts people off for reaching out to help. There's so many other levels of care. And I'm going to talk about this middle tier, which we call PHP or IOP, Intensive Outpatient Program or Partial Hospitalization Program. These are... I tell people it's like going to school for your mental health. That's the best way that I can think of describing it. A lot of these programs are Monday through Friday, five days a week for anywhere between three to five hours a day, depending on if you're the intensive outpatient program or a partial hospitalization program, depending on what you need will depend on which program that you're in the, the level of hours that you will be spending um, in the program. So it's like school. You go there. Some of them are our hospital has a day program where you go in the morning through uh, noon to early afternoon. And then there's also an evening program for those people who who need to work. And so if you have a lot of those other work responsibilities, there's still an option for you to do that program. And there is usually a group therapy component to it. There's a lot of education, a lot of psychoeducation, which I think Bex was kind of referring to earlier to being able to understand, right, your thoughts, being able to understand your emotions, being able to understand what you can do, really developing a toolbox for yourself. You get all of that. And if you are struggling with your day-to-day routine, you're struggling to get going, maybe there are certain factors. Maybe you are on disability and you don't have that usual work structure around you or you're in between work or whatever it may be, the structure and the support and being around other people can be really helpful to get you going. There's a whole package when it comes to PHP and IOP. And this is definitely one that I experience Uh, Not all the time, but I do get a fair amount of resistance from people, which I completely understand of like, hey, you're 
feeling pretty bad. And now I'm asking you to go do this thing every single day around people that you don't know. And I, I will say though, that pretty much everybody that I've recommended to go do that, they'll come back and they'll say, I'm so glad I did that. I wish I had done that sooner. Everybody should do that at some point in their lives. Uh, I've just seen drastic differences in people when they're, when they go and do PHP or IOP. And of course there is inpatient as well. If somebody really cannot keep themselves safe, if they really feel like they're in danger and they need that greater supervision, then they will do inpatient, which they, the, really the goal is to get out of inpatient as quickly as possible for you, the individual, and also the providers. They want to get you stepped down to one of those other levels of care, either into the PHP IOP or into individual therapy. One other is residential treatment. Sometimes people go and they do, uh, it's not really the same as, as inpatient, but you'll go and you'll live basically in a program. How long you are there depends on what you need, but you'll have a lot more support in that way in that way too. Um, so that's another level of care. Isn't quite as common, but that's also an option out there for other people. So whew, I feel like I just talked a lot about that. That's okay. That was a lot because I, I feel like what I think I want to point out is, is that everything that you're talking about for things like this is for the treatment of mental health. And I feel like we can equate these levels of care and experiences to things just like that for things like physical health. Um, you need surgery. You need to go in to have said surgery and then you get to recover from said surgery. But there's aftercare instructions. There's in there's when you are, have experienced something where you get to do like an intensive outpatient, but it's for physical therapy or occupational therapy because you've had a fall. So, seeking help and getting these resources for your mental health is no different. And it should never be or thought of any different than, you know, a medical intervention for something that you're experiencing, um, you know. And I think that there is such a big moment, like, and I think that one of the things that I want to just bring attention to is that mental health is the same as physical health. It's the same and that's how we need to treat it and so much of the stigma is is like oh, it's would we be having this conversation today if there weren't a stigma attached to mental health like there is attached to well someone passed away from a heart attack we didn't see it coming it just happened um and so anyway segue <laughs> Anyway, sorry, I think I even interrupted you, Lauren. No, you're I'm sorry. Fine, you're fine. I think my, 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 the one comment I did want to make is that I think, you know, we have all of these issues and now it's been compounded by, um, you know, the, the pandemic. People are spending more time by themselves instead of with friends and with families, possibly. Um, so it's, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's been even harder because now we're having to look at these things and, and notice them within ourselves and maybe not have friends and family to kind of mirror things back to us. So, but I, I, I think that, you know, Rebecca, I 100% agree with you. If you broke your arm, 
you would go get a cast put on it. Um, if you had heart trouble, you would go to the hospital and get that taken care of. Um, your, your brain, your emotions, your, your thoughts and feelings, those all require tender, loving care. Um, and it's so, so important. Um, you know, yeah, it's like the brain is an organ or yeah. something. It like run, it runs the show and everything. Yeah. It's like, maybe we should take care <laughs> of it or something or make sure we get medical treatment for it. at sign of like tumors and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> just, a, just a thought. <laughs> Came from my brain. It seems to be working okay. I I guess it's because I <laughs> drank some water and ate some food and, you know, to keep my organ and my skull functioning. Sorry. <laughs> Just... No, uh... I mean, it's, it's so great. I'm so glad that we came up to this point, too, because there's so much about that in terms of destigmatizing, right? And he said we wouldn't we look at it differently when it's physical health and I'm doing air quotes that you cannot see because I think mental health and physical health are very much entwined. So here's my invisible air quotes. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we think about that language and that destigmatizing language, it's still very much in our vernacular to say committed suicide. Yes. That was not quite the correct term. (laughs) Well, well, so, so that's what, that's, that's the, the terminology that I think most of us are familiar with, but there's been a shift towards saying died of suicide because we, we wouldn't say somebody committed a heart attack. You know, we wouldn't say somebody committed a stroke, right? And it's really because when we say somebody committed suicide, it's, putting blame Mm -hmm. on the person right and this is this is as much about physical health too and emotional health and we really want to take away that that unnecessary blame and we don't think about those same things now with our physical health what's very interesting um do you know how we used to treat cancer like way back in the day I mean, we, like, cut it out, but I also just read a whole book about, like, radiation and the radium girls. So, I mean, they go into some cancer yeah. treatment. It got it got pretty gnarly. They were just like, yeah, we're just going to cut the whole thing out. It got, it I mean, got we're nuts. like 100 and <laughs> you know, years away from going to the barber <laughs> to go get things fixed. So, I'm like, I'm interested <laughs> to hear about cancer. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Well, well, people used to not be told that they had cancer, mm-hmm. and it was very hush-hush. I, I just saw, like, so again, for those of you that cannot, because this is a podcast. Mm-hmm. I made a face. WTF face. Like, I'm like, what? What do you mean you don't tell people what they have? Like, <laughs> and that's yeah. recent. And, and when I say, like, a long time ago, it's not even that long ago. It's mm-hmm. like, they wouldn't tell you, um, and like, they wouldn't tell you you were dying because, like, you couldn't handle That's sad. it. We're not gonna uh, tell them. Well, also it was very based on like, yeah, they wouldn't tell you. Um, Mm-mm. or Mm-mm. they didn't want you to impact your functioning. And so, uh, I mean, this is an entirely different segue. I was, I, radium girls, great book, super fascinating. <laughs> Radium's really bad for you, by the way. Um, <laughs> radium, side note, side note <laughs> radium's really bad. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah no they kept these the secret from all of these women and like and their doctors kept it hush hush and like 
Yeah, no, they wouldn't say I, anything. It's I'm just, shocked. It's just crazy. I'm not shocked, but I'm shocked. Like I, I couldn't believe that. You know, I guess modern medicine. I'm like, no, my doctor's going to tell me everything, and then I'm going to go Google it. So you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> informed yeah. consent. It's a thing. It is. Yeah. So they wouldn't tell one right because they thought it would overwhelm the person. There was also a lot of shame mm-hmm. and stigma around it too. Thinking about. Right. Lauren, your face again. Exactly. We can't, we wouldn't even think that way about many medical diagnoses. And so I'm hoping one day we will get to the point where we'd be like, what? People didn't talk about this stuff. What? People were ashamed by that. I just can't even imagine being ashamed by that. That's my, that's my dream is one time, one day we will get to the point because when we get to that point, more people will be able to get help. There will be less hesitancy to get help. 100% agree. Someday. 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 But I, Someday. But we're trending Let's that start way. now. We're trying. I think, I feel like, you know, each, each day, each, you know, year, you know, the more I hear about us talking about mental health, um, you know, I, I feel that it's, slowly coming around and people are treating it the same. You know, when I hear about people talking about self-care and people, you know, talking about things they've been diagnosed with and, you know, how, you know, you can help them interact in the world. And I'm just like, this is great. Like I, you know, and and I kind of want to take a moment, you know, listeners, if you're, if you're listening, you know, your feelings are valid. You are valid and you are cared for. There are people out there that love and care about you. And, um, you know, uh, if you need somebody to talk to, I mean, I hope, I hope at the end of this episode, you realize that there are places and people out there that, that are there to listen and, you know, care. And that's the thing. Like sometimes you can kind of get down into the spiral of like, I'm all alone. And I was like, no, there, 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 there are people and organizations out there that will help you not mm-hmm. be alone. <laughs> so, um, and I think what I really want is to make sure like that I, I don't want to be like, I want to put the pinball community on notice, but I think that we have, I think that steadily over the years, the pinball community has become more diverse. Um, I think there's, you know, more room to grow and, um, in the pinball communities, you know, awareness on certain things because it's, there's, there's new generations coming into pinball. And so what I I don't want to be like, I'm putting you guys on notice. I don't know. That sounds really terrible. But like, t- like people who aren't familiar or comfortable with this because they just haven't dealt with it or they come from another generation, like this is your opportunity to take that moment and to not think of like, oh, this is just a hobby. This is just a game. Like, don't take it too seriously. Like, no, this is our community. This is our people that we care about, you know? don't like not everything is a joke and not everything is a game. And sometimes it is important to, you know, to be there for the people who are around you and to not minimize their concerns or feelings because like, it's not something to be dismissive. Like don't be dismissive of your peers, please. Yeah, I think that no, Sorry, that, I don't know if that was too no. Aggressive. I I think that there's this idea, and you know, maybe it's not so much the listeners of our show, um, but you know, um, our, know. <laughs> our demo for pinball tends to skew older, um, and you know, you know, previous generations didn't talk about this, but I, I would think Mm-mm. that they, if they have, you know, 
younger friends, maybe grandkids, children, um, you know, that they're discovering, oh, we're talking about this more. And, you know, maybe if, if this is your first time listening to the show and you're thinking, well, I don't talk about this. We don't talk about this in my family. And, and I get that. But this is an opportunity for you to maybe learn a little, little bit more about mental health and, and making sure our community is open and safe and welcoming to, to everyone and, and how we can harbor those safe spaces for people. Uh, talking about demographics, right? And there's that traditional demographic and we are becoming more diverse as a community. Uh, historically, though, and, and trends are changing. Historically, though, certain people of demographics are higher risk for suicide. And the higher risk has typically been white middle-aged men. Those were the, the higher risk. And it's not that anything causes, this isn't mm-hmm. causal by any means, but there are higher, higher risk. And so therefore a big part of our community does tend to be higher risk. And so everybody in the community needs to be raised. We all need to have each other's back because there is a big portion of our community um, who just is higher di- higher risk because of those demographics. So I'm curious for your thoughts on this. Um, when we look at demographics and um, we look at white middle-aged men, um, what... And again, this is purely speculation because we have no causal um we we do not have research there's no on data. this. There no is data. there's no data. There ain't no numbers. Um would when I think about that population, I think about that this is a I know that there is like this is a generation of people raised in an environment where they have been encouraged to not necessarily share those feelings or talk about these things and they and they have lacked you know the interventions that this new generation has had the opportunity to like reap and benefit does that make sense and so like i can understand why white middle-aged men are going to be inherently perceived as more at risk um but just just for that alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, no, it's a it's a good point. Um, I'm very I do, like systems. I'm like, oh, I see the system in this. I have. It is. There's a system. It I see it. <laughs> yes, it's very systemic, and women do tend to reach out more for help. Women tend to go to therapy more. So there's also sometimes reason why. Uh, women have higher diagnoses of certain things because they just mm-hmm. generally are reaching out more. There's more women in comparison. And also, uh, exactly as you were saying, Bex, I don't know that I'm going to add <laughs> a whole lot more other than piling on top of, of what Pile on. What Pile on, girl. <laughs> Feelings. Yeah. Feelings cuddle puddle, speculation cuddle puddle right now. <laughs> and it's it's such a disservice, right? A lot of these these systems have been such a disservice to so many people because suicide is preventable. A lot of the underlying 
mental health struggles are treatable and we do a disservice by uh, keeping people in certain systems. And so that's also part of my hope for the upcoming generations is that there's just more openness. There's a lot more talk about it. There's a, especially since 2020, maybe that's one of the silver linings uh, has come through it. I've seen more talk about mental health and more acknowledgement of it than I think ever before. So it's shifting and we need to keep keep this shifting along and giving everybody permission to take care of themselves emotionally as much as they would physically. I think that that's a a great point. And, you know, as we kind of start wrapping up the show um, again, listeners, I, I, again, Dr. Denise, Sarah Rose, thank you so much for, for agreeing to come on the show and talk about this. Um, It's, it's, I think that this has been a good conversation. Um, We've kind of touched on a lot of things. you know, uh, I want to give you this moment to kind of wrap up and, you know, let people know about maybe some resources and things and kind of, um, you know, talk again about maybe the hotline and things like that. Uh, the There's the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which we will have that lovely, what was it now? 988? I've got to remember it. See, that's why it needs it. to be 988 <laughs> because nobody... <laughs> The 800 number is too long, but we will have it in the show notes. It will be in this uh, National Alliance for Mental Illness is definitely a great one. A lot of resources. Uh, what is it? The American Foundation. I'm blanking on, on on that one. There is the. Oh, shoot. Let me think of that there. What is it? Like the American. Y'all yeah, uh, we'll edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to leave there's that part one. out, if you want to like reframe this and start again and we can just, you know. Oh, I think there's um, the American Foundation for Suicidology. Does that sound about right? I feel like there was one that was like the Family Foundation. There's a couple of them, but anyway, we'll we'll stick with Nami. Nami's pretty That's much the one that pretty It's the one I'm aware of. And Nami will link to other yeah. things. Like if you start in one place on Nami, like they do a really good job of consolidating mm-hmm. um and making resources and stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Uh so backing up, backing up. Boop 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 boop. <laughs> A really great resource is NAMI, National Alliance for Mental Illness. I definitely recommend them. There's so much good information online and also the Suicide Prevention Lifeline 988 coming in July. That will be easier to remember. And definitely don't hesitate to to check out those resources. Again, uh, Dr. Denise, thank you so much for for coming on the show and and talking through this with us. I, you know, I'm uh, I'm gonna I'll say I was a little hesitant to have this show because I was just kind of like I don't I don't know because again I'm still kind of like you know I I, I feel weird talking about mental health sometimes. <laughs> so um, I think the the more that we have these shows and these conversations, um, you know, the the less we destigmatize it and you know the easier we make it for, for others to feel open to talk about their, their challenges and their struggles and, you know, hopes and fears and things like that. But Rebecca, uh, final thoughts. Um, I come from the, I can talk about mental health all day, every day with a side of, with a side of toast. <laughs> um, and so, uh, 
you know, I, I know even Sarah Rose and I, I'm just like, we should start a pod. We should start another podcast. Like we talk about this all the time um, and we're just like, no, we're really busy. But, um, I, I think that this is, you know, the, this is a, like the reason why this is like, we, I guess like why we're doing this episode, like is incredibly sad and tragic and traumatic for many people, for this entire community. But it also presents, um, you know, an opportunity to have this discussion. And I wouldn't want to give up that opportunity for anything in the world. Um, you know, and I'm really thankful that, you know, Sarah Rose, you know, like Dr. Denise, so fancy. Um, to take, I know I am so, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for the friendship that we've been able to have. Um, so thanks, Scott, for sending me Sarah Rose's number that one time and said we'd be great friends. And <laughs> there we go. So, I mean, I think the rest is history. Um, and so, and I think that, you know, being able to, if anything, I guess that's what we can end on is, is the ability that, you know, even just re- like recording this episode, the relationships that we've built along the way that we're able to have these opportunities to talk about, you know, our thoughts, our feelings, our, our literally just like our mental health um, has been invaluable. And I hope that this opens the door to more discussion, um, you know, within the pinball community, within, you know, or just within the community in general. Like, I'm always happy to talk about it. So maybe not so much like happy is the thing. It's it's a weird thing when you do it for work because it's like, yeah, sure. It's like, you know, every day of the week. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that was a lot especially of Especially when you're passionate about yeah, it. Yeah, especially like when you're, you're passionate about it. So it's a very weird mixture where I'm like, I'm very passionate about these issues. But also I understand that this is a very tragic experience for the people that are around me. Um, so... It's a weird feeling. I'll probably talk to my therapist about it. Uh, you know, I think that's, <laughs> so, I think that's so important in that, you know, if, if you, you don't have a therapist, talk to somebody about it, like find, find somebody to talk to. And, you know, we spend so much time with each other and that's the thing, like, especially in this hobby, it's a close knit community. We spend so much time with each other. Um, you know, we want you to be okay physically and mentally, um, you know, and there, there are resources out there for you. Um, but know that you're not alone and that there are people to talk to and that we, all three of us love you <laughs> and that we care about you as a person. And, um, we want you to be happy or as happy as you can be. So, um, I think that's really important. We want you to be healthy. healthy. That's a better word. Be healthy. Be healthy. Be healthy. So be healthy. And how is, and, and huh? Oh, I just, wanted to add to that even if you didn't know Lyman even if you don't didn't know him and you're still feeling something around that that makes sense if you're still impacted by this there's just hearing about this about anybody and some people tend to minimize like I didn't actually know the person or I didn't know them and have a relationship with them if you're still feeling around this because of the gravity of the situation and just that sadness of loss, that's valid too. I think sometimes people minimize that they're feeling sad about it because they think, well, why am I feeling this sad about it? Because I didn't know that person personally. I just want to validate that, that that's very valid. And it's a, 
it's a tragedy. And so if you're listening to this and you've ever had that feeling of, I didn't know that person. Why, why do I feel sad about this? It makes sense. It's, it's hard. It's hard hearing about it no matter what. I think that's a great point. Cause I, I, I have actually heard that from people. Well, I didn't really know him and I didn't know Lyman either. Um, but I think that that's a, that's a great point And, you know, something that kind of, mm-hmm. the, you know, it, it's something that's resonating through our whole community right now. And just, yeah, I think, yeah, that's, that's, I think maybe so we can just take the time yeah. to be kind and patient with each other and understand everyone's having a hard time right now. Mm-hmm. And come com- back to community, <laughs> staying there with each other and hanging in there with each other. I am so glad to see communicate with the two of you. I am looking forward to hopefully being able to see you guys in March, actually. Yeah. Lauren, I have I have um something here that if you want to describe this for the listeners, um I, I have something that's going to make it easier for you to spot me across the parking lot when I come to Texas. I love it. Y'all. There it she is. She is wearing the sparkly bedazzled hat. Um, a la, uh, our friend Kelly Racer and Kalita Festware. Um, it is, mm-hmm. it was Blink Central. You may see it on our socials. It's the super blingiest rhinestone hat ever. And yeah, you're not going to miss her. You can see it from you space. You can see it from space. So, but has anybody, this is what I need to know. Has anybody tried to take this through airport security yet? Because <laughs> that's a really that's good question. Okay. You should just wear just, it. Just actually. wear it at the airport. Just wear it through the airport. I'm going to. I have to no transfer. other way because you can't really. You could put it in a hat box, but then to fly with a hat box, that's like a whole other. Like that's a piece of luggage. Um, yeah, that'll count as a carry on. You can't yeah, do that. Yeah, wear it. You got to wear it. So. You just have to wear it. I would have to wear this. I'm going to make Scott wear it through the airport. Yeah. You gotta, you're going to even have to like wear it on a plane. I feel like plane. we need to make like, you a hashtag, like hashtag, like the dazzled hat or like something. So like we could cause yeah. you know, people are going to take pictures of you in the airport with the hat on. Yeah. It's airport security. <laughs> um, it's technically Scott's hat. So I shouldn't, I, I stole it from him. This is technically his rhinestone cowboy. Well, we love you both. And so you can share. Totally share. Um, and we, it, it looks fabulous. You can share. You, so. You can share. So we can do the hashtag. If y'all want to talk, see more about mental health, I post about mental health all the time on my social medias, uh, mostly the Instagrams. If you want to follow, lots of good mental health content at (laughs) choking there. (laughs) A bunch of mental health content on my Instagram, fight addiction, F-I-T-E, addiction. Oh, come hang out with me over there. Like I said, we're we're passionate, Bex and I, so I'll talk about it all the time. Try to share a lot of good information about mental health as well on the on the interwebs. Fantastic. Well, we'll put all those links in the show notes. Again, Sarah Rose, thank you so much. Rebecca, thanks for organizing this. I think it was a much needed conversation. So 
Yes. And we tried really hard to, we were like, we're going to take a break. We're going to just like have a week off of recording episodes. And here we are. No, we need to have an episode. So, nope, need more More episodes. episodes. So, Uh, we do have more episodes coming up in in February and in March leading up to TPF. Um, We're excited about that. Um, Something to look forward to, something fun and shiny to look forward to. So, Um, but I feel like this tag, you know, I say it at the end of every show, but, uh, I feel mostly on this show, it's probably the most important thing. Uh, Take care (laughs) of yourselves, take care of each other, and keep flipping. Bye, y'all. Bye.